Hi everybody, my name is Daniela Park and welcome to the 12 Steps for the Sober Curious. Are you the person who can't drink safely? Have you ever come home in the morning and can't remember how you got there? Have you ever woken up next to somebody and can't recognize them? Or have you ever told yourself, I'm only going to take one drink and then I'm going to go home and then end up in a blackout? Or are you a person who is sober but is having trouble living sober? The pink cloud has dissipated. And now what? You have your emotional sobriety. You have all the past things that you have done when you were out there that caused injury and resentment. Now what? Well, thank you for joining me. And I hope that I can help you learn something. My recovery started September 11th in 2006, and I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I am not looking to recruit members of Alcoholics Anonymous. All I want is to give you an opportunity to re-listen to the 12 steps, to learn what they are, and to see if maybe you can apply it to your own life and to help you keep a long-term sobriety. We're talking 10, 20, 30 years. And this step, these steps have helped me so much. And it's very funny because I have recorded this five times this morning and it has not recorded. So I, I'm saying this over again. And um, it, I just feel very funny because this is my first podcast. So I hope you uh, listen to it and enjoy it. So let's go ahead and start with step one. We admitted that we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Do you have a desire to stop drinking? Because that's all you need. You just need a desire. You don't have to jump into any programs. You don't have to feel stressed or uh, confused, just knowing that you might have a problem. You have a desire to stop drinking is what you need to get going. So don't punish yourself if you've done nothing about your addiction. Now I break it down like this. We admitted we were the ones that did the drinking, not our brothers, sisters, mothers, wives, husbands, we admitted that we had a problem. And trust me, this doesn't come if you don't want it. This has to be something that you wholeheartedly want for yourself. It's not a physical bottom for me. It was a spiritual bottom where I hit bottom and I had nothing left inside. And two, you admitted that your life was completely powerless after you picked up a drink and that your life had become completely unmanageable. And if you're having difficulty identifying with this step, basically what I did was I wrote a past review of some of the problems that I had and was alcohol involved? What were some of the biggest problems in my life 
what was unmanageable and what was causing me to have problems. Was alcohol or drugs involved? And if it appears that your life is still manageable because this is a progressive disease, it's basically suggested that you modify your statement to nothing horrendous has happened to me yet. The yet, it hasn't happened to me yet because it will. <laughs> uh, we basically can't drink safely. And I'm going to do a lot of reading out of the book and explaining. And this first podcast is going to be a lot about the doctor's opinion about what an alcoholic is. And the doctor's opinion comes from a gentleman called Dr. William D. Silkworth in the 1930s. He wrote a document about what he believes an alcoholic is. He had worked with over 30,000 alcoholics at a prominent hospital that dealt with these type of people back in the 30s. And Bill Wilson was one of the people that was his patient. Bill Wilson had a best friend and his name was Ebby. And they were drinking buddies for 30 years. They drank in the war. They drank uh, together doing stockbroking. They were long lifetime drinking buddies. And their story kind of ties in a little bit to what I'm about to read. So again, the first step, admitting that you are powerless and unmanageable when you drink. Now there's a couple components, obviously, when we get sober, there's the spirit, there's the body, the mind, and then the emotional recovery. And it's all kind of like a cake mix. You know, when you make a cake, you put the flour in, you put the eggs, or you don't. And if you forget one of the items, you put the cake in the oven, it's not going to rise. Same thing with recovery. I believe it does take a whole revamping of one's life, looking at old friends, old places, looking at ourselves and finding uh, fact finding about who we are and what we did when we were out there. Now I'm going to read you a little, uh, it's, it's from Dr. Silkworth's explanation of a alcoholic. Now there's a part in the book, it's in the forward to the second edition and it says, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. So planting the seed, even if, if it's just having a podcast and reaching one person with these steps, it's brings up the opportunity for you to stay sober over a long period of time. And what most people don't understand is the alcoholic is a very sick person mentally and bodily. And it's not about moral character. It's not about willpower. Why can't you just, why can't he just stop drinking? Because we have a disease. We are totally, completely 
crazy when we drink. Anyways, okay, so the doctor's opinion, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the reader will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery described in this book. Convincing testimony must surely come from medical men who have had experience with the sufferings of our members and have witnessed our return to health. A well-known doctor, chief physician at a nationally prominent hospital specializing in alcoholic and drug addiction gave Alcoholics Anonymous this letter. To whom it may concern, I have specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years. In late 1934, I attended a patient who, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. In the course of his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. As part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. This has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their families. This man and over 100 others appear to have recovered. I personally know scores of cases who were of the type with whom other methods had failed completely. These facts appear to be of extreme medical importance because of the extraordinary possibilities of rapid growth inherent in the group. They make a mark and a new epoch in the annals of alcoholism. These men may have a remedy for thousands of such situations. You may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. Very truly yours, William D. Silkworth, M.D. Now, a little bit um, of what I just read. It's basically saying recovery begins when one alcoholic talks with another to stay sober. It's a yes let me read this to you, but I'm going to stay sober in the process. And that's just the way it is. In me helping you by just telling you my story, I'm able to stay sober. Some people kind of look at that and they don't necessarily like it, but it is reality and um, it's helped millions. The physician who, at our request, gave us this letter had been kind enough to enlarge his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture, and torture meaning just absolute devastation, and torture is a big word, must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality, or were outright mental defects. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with some of us. But we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out the physical factor is incomplete. And the doctor's theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. As laymen, our opinion as to its soundness may of course mean little. 
But as ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes great sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. Through Though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as the altruistic plane, helping others, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he's approached, as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. Now, just to go back to the sentence where um, we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plane, they're talking about a selfless devotion to the welfare of others. That's that's the extent of where we need to go. We are self-centered and we and we fester and we sit and we are so self-obsessed if we don't change that about ourselves, our chances of drinking are extremely, the chances of drinking are, are, they go up tremendously. So think of that. Think of selfless devotion to others. Is that you? Could that ever be you? Well, you can always get the help of a higher power, which if you don't have one, I'm going to read to you through this book about how to gain your own understanding enough to where you can let go of your issues and your problems and turn your life over to the care of a higher power and not stress. <laughs> All right. The doctor writes, the subject presented in this book seems to me to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcohol addiction. I say this after many years experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the county treating alcoholic and drug addiction. And that was that um, hospital I told you about in Vermont. There was therefore a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on the subject, which is covered in such masterly detail in these pages. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology, correct thinking, was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. What with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. So... Beyond human, this was beyond human aid. I mean, there wasn't anything anybody could do. It it was hopeless. Alcoholism at that time seemed hopeless. There was nothing that these people could do to help. These doctors were going nuts. Many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in the hospital. And while here, he acquired some ideas, which he put into practical application at once. And that guy was who I mentioned before, Ebby Thatcher, who was Bill W.'s best friend. And Ebby Thatcher was sober and he came to see Bill when he was in the hospital and he could not, Bill couldn't recognize Ebby. He didn't, he said, I know this guy, but I don't know where from. And he had known Ebby his entire life and couldn't even recognize him. And Ebby came in and he spoke of religion. And all Bill could think about was he was a religious crackpot. And that's all that stuck with him. 
and he basically, they call, he 12-stepped him, which they call that now. Later, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients here, and with some misgiving, we consented. These cases we have followed through have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. The unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them, the entire abstinence of profit motive, and the community spirit is indeed inspiring to who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor. And this often requires a definite hospital procedure. But before measures can be of maximum benefit, your body, you need to treat your body in detox. We believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them, and become astonishing, astonishingly difficult to solve. Frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. This message, which can interest and hold alcoholics, must have depth and weight. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. That might be a tough one for people. But just go with just go with it. Just keep an open mind. And one of the, the prayers that we do for step one is and I will read it to you. God, please set aside for me all of the things, and I choose to call him God, that I think I know about you, me the 12 steps, recovery, and especially spiritual matters so that I may have an open mind for a new experience of all these things. Amen. And I just choose to call my higher power God. But my higher power comes in the form of a mountain, a quick brush of air, the wind, a hawk flying above, a horse, my dog. It's all around me but it's of my own understanding and my own awareness. And the fact that it says we can recreate our lives, that's pretty exciting. Just to have an open mind and a desire, I can recreate my life. I didn't think I had any choice. I didn't even know I had a disease to where I could change my life. I just, I honestly thought I was just a loser who couldn't keep a job, and I didn't have any understanding that I had some sort of allergy bodily and mentally. And so I, I never experienced hope until I got sober the second time around. 
After being out for 15 years, I had not a sober breath for 15 years, and I was a drug addict on top of it. And guess what? My life now is incredible. So I know you can do this. If any feel that as psychiatrists directing a hospital for alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental, let them stand with us a while on the firing line and see the tragedies, the despairing wise, the little children. Let the solving of these problems become a part of their daily work and even of their sleeping moments and the most cynical will not wonder that we have accepted and encouraged this movement. We feel after many years of experience that we have found nothing which has contributed more to the rehabilitation of these men and the altruistic movement now growing up among them. They've tried everything with these alcoholics. This seemed to be the only thing that was working and they're willing to put themselves on, this doctor is willing to put his reputation on the line to say, the only thing that's helped is a spiritual uh, experience and helping others. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect pr produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of esprit emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. And this is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of his recovery. And whatever that means to you, it means to you. But to me, it means everything. My entire life. And I had to find somebody to help direct me because I had no idea how to live without a drink. I had never done it. But on the other hand, as strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easy able to control his desire for alcohol, the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. Men have cried out to me in sincere and despairing appeal. Doctor, I can't go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must stop, but I cannot. You must help me. Faced with this problem, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. Although he gives all that is in him, it is often not enough. One feels that someone more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change. Though the aggregate of recoveries result from psychiatric effort is considerable, we physicians must admit we have made little impression upon the problems as a whole. Many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. Why can't you just... Why can't he just stop? 
I don't hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I've had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal, which had to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests, so that imp that important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. Death. The classification of alcoholics seems most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are, of course, the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. We are all familiar with this type. They are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over-remorseful and many resolutions, but never a decision. There's the type of man who is unwilling to admit he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand of, or his environment. There's the type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There's the manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom we could write a whole chapter about. Then there are the types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. All these and many others have one symptom in common, that they cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. Right now they're talking about the allergy the phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. The definition of allergy, people, is a reaction to a drink, a beverage, a food, or a medication. And that's us. We are allergic to a beverage. And that's, that's the bottom line. We have a allergic reaction, which sets us apart from other people. We can never safely drink. I hate to break it to you. It sucks, but we just can't. This immediately precipitates us into a seething caldron of debate. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. Now, what is the solution? About a year prior to this experience, a man was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism. He had but partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be a case of pathological mental deterioration. He had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might say, to drink. He frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was profound to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan 
outlined in this book. One year later, he called to see me, and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name, but partly, partly <clears throat> recognized his features. But there, all the resemblance had ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. A long time had passed with no return to alcohol. When I need a mental uplift, I often think of another case brought in by a physician prominent in New York. This patient had made his own diagnosis and deciding his situation hopeless, had hidden in a deserted barn and determined to die. Oh, <clears throat> He was rescued by a searching party and in desperate condition brought to me. Following his physical rehabilitation, he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment was a waste of effort, unless I could assure him which no one ever had, that in the future he would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink. How sad. This guy was completely hopeless. He was hiding in a deserted old barn, drinking himself to death. His alcoholic problem was so complex and his depression so great that we felt his only hope would be through what we called moral psychology. And we doubted if even that would have any effect. However, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He had not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then, and he is as fine a specimen of manhood as one could wish to meet. I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through and through. Perhaps he came to scoff. He may remain to pray. William D. Silkworth, medical doctor. So now the next chapter is long, and I'm not going to read it to you. It, it's uh, Bill's story. Um, it goes all the way um, starting in New England when he was young, and he was in the war, and he was drinking, all the way up to, um, God, it, it seems like forever. I mean, this guy, he tried everything. He would do geographics. He would change jobs. He was, He was a genius when it came to he was a social genius I mean the guy and we are us alcoholics we know we got game we just can't metabolize alcoholism the same and and one of the things I also wanted to mention is the physical allergy um, is described and I, I can't explain it to you because I know I'll mess it up but I know that we have different enzymes than a regular drinker and we can't break down the acetone and the sugar and um, carbon dioxide and we cannot break that down as fast as a normal drinker and the really screwed up part is the more we drink of course the more we get drunk but as more acetone goes in the craving goes up so we're, we're doomed. And if you think that you have a problem, it doesn't get better. And I'm sorry to tell you that because it's a blow. 
It really is. But it just doesn't get better. And I hope that you have hit your bottom and that you admit to yourself that you have a power. Uh, I'm sorry, that you have been completely powerless over alcohol. And if you're still having problems, like I said, take a piece of paper and write down your biggest problems in your life and are they related to your drinking? Now, Bill's story, it's like I said, it's long and it goes on and it talks about all the different ways that he would justify his drinking. If I mixed it with milk, it's, it's like pure insanity. It's like they explain it like this. The guy who would run across the street and get hit by the car, he would get out of the hospital and he'd run across the street again. He'd get hit again. Then he ran across the street again. And every time he would get out, he'd always run across the street again to get his drink. That's what we are. We do anything for that drink once we need it. And as dying as he was in, in the end, he finally did get sober. But step one is loneliness and despair, self-pity, and over being overwhelmed that you had been completely mastered. Alcohol was your master. And we had to simply believe in the spirit of the universe, no matter what it is, an immutable law, an intelligence. And this was going to give us a lot of relief. Spirituality, choosing your own conception of God. And this is from the book. The statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. And this is Bill talking. I stood in the sunlight at last. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point. Upon a foundation of willingness, I might build what I saw in my friend, Ebby. Would I have it? Of course I would. Thus was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. At long last, I saw, I felt, I believed. Scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes and a new world came into view. The real significance of my experience in the cathedral burst upon me. For a brief moment, I had needed and wanted God. There had been a humble willingness to have him with me, and he came. But soon, the sense of his presence had been blotted out by worldly clamors, mostly those within myself, and so it had been ever since. How blind I had been. At the hospital, I was separated from alcohol for the last time. Treatment seemed wise, for I showed signs of delirial tremens. And this is where I humbly offered myself to God, which is step three, as I then understood him to do with me as he would. And what it, what it talks about in step three is turning all of your problems over to the care of God. This is meant to be... It's exactly the way it's supposed to be. 
going into acceptance. And we faced our problems and we took them away root and branch. And he hadn't had a drink. You know, we had written down uh, the people that we had hurt, the people that we resented. We made amends to them. And we didn't say sorry. We made amends. We followed up to find out what we could do to make it better. And we developed this God consciousness. And... The steps go on from there. And I don't want to press, bring on the pressure of a spiritual experience yet. But I will tell you the destruction of self-centeredness comes early. But faith without works is dead. And it is true. And if you fail to enlarge your spiritual life through work with um, and self-sacrifice with others... We couldn't survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. You don't have to agree with everything in this book. But if you get a higher power and live the principles that I'm going to break down for you, your life will become better. There's no doubt about it. You'll become a better person. I really appreciate everybody listening to this podcast. Unfortunately, I had done it a couple times and had to re-record it. And you know you feel like, oh, I did it great the first time. Fear. Go figure. Um, I will be doing another episode next week on step two. So if you have something nice to say, I think you can give me uh, recommendations, or you can write in the comments. I also own a 12-step uh, store, doingitsober.com. If you have any questions, you can email me anytime, info at doingitsober.com. Thank you so much, and God bless.